If you've ever struggled with finding meaning in life or your work, Brant Hansen has some advice for you today on today's episode of the Next Simple Step podcast. Now, Brant, you host a daily radio show. You've written four books. The most recent, uh, a treatise on what it means to be a man called The Mm -hmm. Men We Need. And uh, in that book, you write, if you feel meaningless, it might be because you're investing time and energy in meaningless things. (laughs) Okay, shots fired. Talk about that. Well, I know that from experience. Like, there's a listlessness that comes. I can do something that I really enjoy, like playing video games. I can do that for a long, a disturbingly long time without getting up to go to the bathroom or even knowing what time of day it is. Like, but in the end, I feel listless. And I, I think there's a, a malaise and an ennui that kind of sets in uh, over time when we're just entertainment oriented. But that's, that's kind of how our culture is set up. That's men and women both. Of course, I'm talking directly to men on that one, but, but yeah, I think that, I think that follows. And also, not finding meaning in the stuff that you're doing that you should find meaning in. Like almost everybody's job is meaningful and you're actually serving people. Almost everybody like has something like you're paid, you're being paid to serve people. The fact that you're being paid doesn't invalidate how wonderful that is. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing to be able to do that. Does that make sense? Well, it does, but in practice, that's really hard because we follow people online or we read books of these great leaders and different things. And so it doesn't feel like uh, you're doing something meaningful when say, you know, you're not famous or, or being followed by a lot of people or yeah. doing something, getting accolades. So yeah, how do you find that intrinsic meaning in the work you're doing? If, if a lot of people aren't, uh, you know, lifting you up. <laughs> A lot of the, it's, it's interesting because a lot of the people that are being followed are ones that actually don't contribute as much as somebody who stocks shelves overnight at the grocery right. store. And honestly, a lot of it's reframing that. And um, it's like you think, oh, I'm just putting these cans on a shelf. No, no, no. You're you're helping people. People need food. People are busy. They can't all go out into the woods and get their own food. They're single moms that appreciate the fact that this is laid out in an orderly way so she can take care of her kids. Like what you're doing, this is uh, whatever it is, almost any job really. So I think a lot of it is just reframing what you're doing. There's the classic example. And probably you've heard this before, but it's like, you know, back in the middle ages, they're building Chautelet or Notre Dame or something. And um, somebody stops by and talks with a grumpy guy as he's, you know, putting, putting blocks up or whatever, however they did the stonework. And he's like, they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just piling stones. And then they talk to another guy that's like doing things really happily and he's enjoying his work. They're like, well, what are you doing? It's the exact same job. He's like, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God that will stand for centuries that thousands of people will see and a remarkable work of art. Like they're doing the same job. So I think you can have an incredibly important job and not see how wonderful it really is. It's just a matter of reframing. Okay. Yeah. And in this book, you also write, it's important for men. And a lot of this stuff does apply to women too, but you're talking specifically to men. Be ambitious about the right things. So define what are the right things to be ambitious about? 
I'm trying to tell people on this side, I'm 53 now. I'm a grandpa, which I'm really excited about. But Congrats. So, yeah. So I feel more emboldened to say stuff. <laughs> like, like I've always been kind of like, well, don't take my word for it. But I do think this is very true. Coming at it as somebody who's a believer in God, I want to ask God for wisdom. And wisdom to me is knowing the relative value of things. This matters. This doesn't matter so much as that. Like, Compared to this, what does that matter? That's everything. So if you have wisdom, you're going to wind up not having a lot of regrets that a lot of people have in their older in their older lives because you didn't miss your chance. And what I mean by that is being ambitious about the right things. Life is in season. So it's good to be ambitious about career and stuff like that. Like that's That's fine. But when you've got little kids in the house, for instance, you need to have the wisdom to know, yeah, that's that's okay, fine. I need to be ambitious, but I need to be ambitious about these little kids. They only get one shot with a dad at this stage of their lives. I'm it. I'm their chance. That's incredibly valuable. I need to be able to prioritize things like that because life does come in seasons and you can later on in life do some of this stuff that you were like itching and chafing to do to establish your, your whatever. But for right now, that's not the important thing. The important thing is these people that you've been handed. So I use that as an example. So like, it's not just be ambitious because you can be, be, be ambitious about stupid, foolish stuff. You'll wind up regretting on your deathbed. Like, why did I do that instead of paying attention to what I should have paid attention to? So it's, I think that's a huge issue for people is knowing that life is in seasons and there are certain things you should prioritize now and certain things later. Okay. And how do you... Uh you seek wisdom from God. I mean, what do you, how do you feel like that is as a practice? How do you get that wisdom? And at, you know, before you become a grandpa, so say you're in your thirties or forties and you're just having kids, <laughs> right, right. like we can read your right. book for sure. But uh, you know, what, uh, how do you discern whether this is something you ought to be ambitious about or not? Since I do believe God is real. I mean, I do believe that. I always have doubts, you know, like anybody else in life, but I do believe he's real. And I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen it. I believe very strongly that he's the deepest reality. I don't think it's impractical to say, pray for wisdom. Like if you want Mm -hmm. wisdom, it isn't an impractical pie in the sky. Like, okay, there's that, but what's the real, like, I, I think he will honor that and give it to you. And then he, he also uses people to shape us. So being somebody who becomes a listener and always in learner mode is, is vital. It's really weird too. Again, I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective, but we call ourselves disciples. It's like, that means if I'm a disciple, I'm always learning, always learning. I can't think that I figured something out. Like I got the answers now. I figured it all out. Like that's just not, that's not real. So if I'm in learner mode and I'm paying attention to wise people, and I'm asking God for wisdom, I'm, I'm in good shape. Like a lot of the things that um, you can read in wisdom literature in the Bible really are extremely helpful. No lie. I mean, it's just, it sounds like the good religious answer, but it, it's, it's reality. And what you're, it's one of the things I got to in the book too, is what you pay attention to shapes who you're actually becoming. It's everything in life. So yeah, right there. That's why. <laughs> no, that was good. I was going to stop you because yeah, I mean, what you focus on, you you become, and and it's thrown around the five people you spend the most time with. You start sort to become like. 
we're very mimetic beings, right? And we tend to, yeah. to mimic our surroundings and the people around us. Yes. And it's not just, pe- I, I believe that so strongly. It's not just people. It's all the stuff. It's where my mind is going. It's like you're literally paying attention. You're paying to attend. My mind is paying to attend X. And if I'm attending X, I can't attend Y. So if I'm squeezing out all my life, like I love reading sports stuff. Sure. Just uh, one thing, it's just a big distraction. Like it doesn't have all the weight of all the daily rigmarole and arguments and stuff. Like, but if, if that's what I'm spending my attention on, then I'm not spending attention on other stuff. It's not a bad thing, but it is, it is, I have a limited amount of time. So that, that shapes us. Right? I have a real practical question uh, for you here because <laughs> you are on Twitter. Uh, you're in the real world. You've also written four books. You're working on your fifth, I believe. You do a daily radio show. How on earth do you focus and pay attention to, to be able to do those things? Well, I feel like I'm too scattered, honestly. Um, but gosh, I don't watch much TV. I spend a lot of focused time with my wife. I don't have little kids in the house. So that frees me up to do some stuff uh, now because we're at this stage in life. And I've kind of combined exercise with learning. Hmm. So I'll listen to podcasts from people I think are wise or, or recordings or stuff. And I even slowed down my exercise. I used to run, but I found I need music to run for whatever reason but I could walk really fast and listen to like a really good thinker who's, who's a mature believer who I can get ideas from. And as I'm walking, I'm saying notes into my phone. Like I need to think about that, about that, about that. It becomes fodder for writing. It becomes fodder for the radio show, but that's kind of, that's really helped me a lot. I've also started one other tip is I got this app. It's, it's silly, but it works. It's a, it's the Bible memory app. Huh? And, um, so I've always been really horrible about memorizing stuff, but you get points if you memorize a verse or whatever. <laughs> you gamified <laughs> the Bible. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> so it has like, has like national rate rankings or whatever. Uh-huh. So I'm like, I just passed, I passed Ashley and, <laughs> and now I'm in 13,000th place. And, uh, it's, it's just funny how that works though. It's like, I want these points. I mm-hmm. want to keep memorizing this. It's fun. So that, that stuff, honest, I, I didn't realize what a big deal it is to know this stuff and to internalize it and then turn it over in your head. That's what transforms us. Yeah. I, I do want to change. Yeah. I think we all uh, benefit from wisdom. Uh, I just want to maybe uh, look at your day in the life of Brand Hansen, if you will. Talk about your writing process. I mean, where are you getting inspiration and, and how do you capture that and decide that you're going to write a book about uh, the men we need or you know whatever subject you're working on where do you find the inspiration and then how do you carve up the time to to crank out you know that many books you know i have a real problem with it because i'm not as you know paul not hyper organized so understatement it's tough for me and and <laughs> no and i'm not saying anything you don't say right. publicly because you no, said no, you, know, so you can be driving somewhere and it's like the 15th time you've been there and you still get lost yeah, I don't know. I'm not paying it. Like my head is always somewhere else. Right. Unfortunately, I got it. Like it's an idea land, but all that to say, like I have a real problem with the book writing because I'll do it intensely. But then when I have to do the days I have to do the radio show, I can't do both. 
I don't have that kind of energy. My brain is tired. I'm exhausted. So I, what happens is I'll ignore the book for several days. I get back to it. I'm like, I don't even recognize this. I have to read my whole whatever 10 chapters I just wrote again. And then, okay, that's where I am. That's what I'm doing. And I have to do this over and over where I reacquaint myself with the book that I'm writing. So it's not a good process, but that's what happens. So once a week for a few couple few days, I try to focus just on the book, um, yeah. but it's it's hard. It's a well, bad process. I'm I have sure. learned there's there's no such thing as multitasking because we all just switch tasks. Some people can do it faster than others, and you know it's not particularly helpful because you lose so much time. Like you said, you have to reread the first last ten chapters to get caught up to speed. Uh, if you could do that, and right. but it's so funny. I think there's the headline. The guy that's written several best-selling books just said, I have a problem writing books. No, I think that all the people that say, yeah, I could write a book that haven't started. I think they have a problem. You you seem to have figured it out. Uh, well, I figured this, I read, I think I told you this a while back, but Seth Godin's, uh, who you've talked to, uh, Seth Godin's book, Lynchpin, yeah. where he was talking and he said basically about himself, I'm not a very good writer, but I'll tell you what, I get it done. And that's unlike a lot of people who in their heads can be great writers, but never actually get it done. That was really freeing for me because I'm like, I've been perfectionistic, but without, without reason, I'm not going to be perfect and I'm not going to be Tolkien. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to write this epic thing. So why don't I just get it done? Yeah. And that really freed me. I didn't write a book until I, I saw, I read his book hmm. and that freed me up to start writing. I'm like, I'm going to write something that's flawed, but I'm going to send it. I'm going to get it done. I know that's how you kind of operate too. It's like, I'm just going to get this done. Yeah. Perfect. You, perfect's not going to happen. It, it done is better than perfect because perfect isn't going to happen. You're right. And it isn't going to happen. Right. I can vouch. We've worked together in a number of places and I worked with you at a radio station once. And I remember asking you, you, you got done with your show for the day and I'm like, Hey, could you, uh, could you record another show for the weekend? <laughs> You're like, no, are you crazy, man? <laughs> <laughs> I left it all on the field. I got nothing left. And I did. Uh, yeah. And I think sometimes people might think, well, you know, brand's being lazy or something. And I know that wasn't no. the case. It's just, man, you're putting your heart and soul and everything you got into what you're creating in that moment. And so that does limit your options. Yeah. You know what? The the guy who came after you in that role got complained about me to Sherry, my producer, and he's just like, why does this guy have to swing for the fence every single time he goes on the air? It is a rarity. I'm like, unfortunately, it is. Well, but I do. That is because I feel this weight of of wanting people. I want to be a blessing to people. I don't want to waste anybody's time. Yeah, I don't want to just say nothing. So I feel that weight. So I do swing for the fence, but that is exhausting. And I can't remember if I told you this, but I, I listened to a bit of the Tim Ferriss podcast with Jerry Seinfeld. Huh. And Seinfeld was talking about how he could write for like a half hour a day. But writing is so tiring. He's like, I was exhausted. And I always felt bad about it. Like, I'm not doing manual labor. But the fact is, he was he was unpacking this. It is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And what I'm doing, I'm not only writing effectively a show every day in my head i'm taking hours to prepare i'm delivering it to the best of my ability like i'm exhausted and i've always felt stupid about that i'd come home or be in a stupor just like i got nothing 
or need to take a nap afterward. It was so freeing for me to hear Seinfeld talk about that because mental work is work. Mm. And, and yes. being exhausted is a real thing. And I, I know some people can sit down and do 10 shows, but I honestly, I think it's because for whatever reason, I, I just burn hotter and it, it wipes me out faster. Like you said, you don't want to waste anybody's time. Um, right. And that really requires a concentrated effort and you've only got so much attention in, uh, in your day, only so much energy in your day to, uh, be creative. And I guess, you know, in Seinfeld's case, that's the difference between creating one of the most profitable and successful sh shows in franchise history. And, you know, one of the shows we've never heard of or never watched reruns of, of, uh, it does make a difference. And even more like contained as an idea is like stand up comedy, writing a joke, you think, oh, it's just a joke. It's not. Every word matters. Timing. There's not one yes. wasted word. Nothing is superfluous. And so to hone that down and nail it just right, like that's exhausting. And and you can read, I know a lot of people have written about this, but like people sitting down to play chess all day, if they're grandmasters, they'll burn 9,000 calories sitting there. <laughs> Because you're going through all the options of what you could do and what might happen. So it's all these alternatives you're uh -huh. weighing through. And if you're a good comedy writer, if you're a good writer, you're going to wrestle with it. It could be done a million different ways. Is this the ideal ways? It's the best way. So that can be legitimately exhausting. And, but I didn't, I, I literally teared up when I heard that podcast because I felt like I felt so stupid for so long being so tired. And now I, I'm not stupid. That's just, that's just humans. Yeah. And so how do you decide what you're going to work on? Because clearly uh, we all get deci decision fatigue and that's what you're talking about there. You just need to focus on the the most essential things. I really love that book uh, by Greg McCowan, you know, essentialism. And that's, I think, what you're talking about. Like there's a lot of different creative pursuits you could do and have done, um, but you're kind of choosing uh, what you're going to do for today. And how do you say no to really good opportunities or things that sound fun? You know, how do you decide what is essential? Um, I have a real hard time saying no to stuff, but I have gotten better at it. And my wife helps me with that because she'll, <laughs> I'll agree to something because it'll be like eight months in the future. Like, hey, you want to come speak <laughs> at this thing? Uh -huh. I'm like, of course I do. I would love to meet you in your Sunday school class or whatever it is, you know, or your five guys in a group at a coffee shop on the other side of the country. <laughs> I would, I'd be honored. But then when it comes time and it actually rolls around, I complain like, Oh, I can't believe that's good. And my wife's sick of that. So uh -huh. now I'm like, <laughs> am I going to complain about this? So that's, that's helpful. Um, and the other thing is, uh, I, I know now I, I can't add anything. Mm. This is crazy. So, because as you know, I work for Cure, right? And then the radio show, and it's honestly doing the author thing is a full time job. It is. Um, I keep waiting for you to announce like one or two of them are going to go because you do have like three full time jobs, and yeah, uh, Cure International I know is so near and dear to your heart. Uh, they run surgery centers in the developing world, uh, healing kids with correctable disabilities. Really powerful work. What compels you to work there and not just, you know, support them? I could. Um, I really like being part of the team, though. I really do. And I don't have, since I'm not at a radio station anymore, I'm on my own and literally broadcasting from my house. 
like I need some camaraderie and I need, I, I need the mission more than it needs me. Maybe. <laughs> like, so I like, I like that. So I don't, as you know, I don't work, you help set this up. I don't work for a radio station and that's, right. that's a beautiful thing. And, um, I get to work with them and I find medical, uh, stuff to be absolutely fascinating. So for me to work alongside surgeons and, and these kind of brilliant servants, um, is really nice. And not that radio people are bad or anything, but that's a, that's a really fun thing for me. So I don't want to give it up. Talk about that for a minute. Cause I've met a few of those cure surgeons that are taking a job with not much prestige that's paid a lot less than say a surgery center here in the United States. And it's awe-inspiring when you talk to those guys, because clearly when you go to med school, it's not cheap <laughs> and right, right. you got bills to pay. And obviously there's, yeah. you know, you're looked up to in society and there's a prestige with it, but these guys are not held up in the highest esteem uh, in some places and they do it for like a 10th of the pay or less. Probably a 10th of the pay. They can still look pretty, pretty good. And, you know, in these countries, they still can be pretty comfortable, which is great. But yeah, a 10th of the pay less prestige, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. However, the great thing about this is you think like you grow up, maybe you think about missionaries or whatever. And it's always like the, you just think, I don't know, boring people, maybe Right. it shouldn't, but it crosses my mind that these are really serious, you know, dedicated, joyless, religious people or something. But these surgeons, these people are some of the most fun, funny, like ready to laugh people on the planet. So that's, what's really fun about it. No, I, I can vouch for that. <laughs> I had a beer with Dr. Lestroni. Uh, he's an Italian <laughs> he's surgeon in Niger yeah. Yeah. and yeah. he's hilarious. He is. And he can play guitar like crazy. He commandeered yeah. somebody's guitar at a fundraising weekend and in the, like the hotel bar <laughs> and saying, <laughs> he's an Italian surgeon and he's saying more than words by extreme or whoever that was like, he's just, he's a hoot, but it's, he's not the only one. There's a bunch of guys and ladies like that. It's just a joy, man. Like visiting these hospitals and stuff. You're talking about some of the most interesting people. They're not bored. I'll tell you that they will all tell you, these surgeons will tell you like in America, you'll okay, here's another torn meniscus. Okay. Let me work on that. But over there, they're like, there's not a day that goes by where we don't see something where we're like, whoa, I have never seen that before. Not a day. Like, so that's just really stimulating professionally too, where you're like, I have to figure this out. Like, so that's, that's a, there's a lot of perks to doing that job, but people don't realize it and uh, they do make so much less, but it's, it's a pretty awesome thing. That is cool. And I get it because I worked for Cure and still support and it is inspiring when you see people that are working, you know, modern day miracles. It's the name of a documentary uh, that you can check out. I think it's on Amazon prime, uh, which yeah. basically is a film about cure. And it is, it's inspiring because we get jaded here and we kind of take uh healthcare and medical care is, you know, it's, uh, it's a big business here in the United States and the Western world. And, there's lots of opinions and fights about it and all kinds of, you know, different issues. And there it's a lot, it, it's very simple. A uh, kid couldn't walk and now they can. 
<laughs> right. And, right, right. Uh, and so, you know, they don't take insurance. It's, you know, they are charity hospitals. And so yeah. it's like, they're just healing as many kids as they can. And uh, it is quite amazing. Setting records too. Like this last year is unbelievable. Like the, the, the number of procedures we've done, surgeries is incredible. The frustrating thing for me, I'm becoming, I don't want to become crotchety guy that's ticked at everybody for not giving. Right. But that is, I mean, I pray that I'm going to, that's going to happen. I poured myself out at a music festival recently and it just did not, I thought I did a really good job yeah. and found myself wanting to jump into the crowd to start strangling people because <laughs> they weren't giving. It's like, it's very hard not to get a bad attitude. I'm like, what, what can I show you that you'd be like, that's worth 10 bucks a month or something? Like yeah. what? People getting up and walking, little girls being able to dance for the first, like, I don't know what, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't, I can't rival your entertainment dollar, I guess. I was listening to a podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with this team. It's pretty remarkable. The Savannah Bananas baseball team. Oh, yeah. Uh, the owner of that is incredible. I was listening to a podcast he was on and, you know, he doesn't have any ads in the stadium uh, because, and his reason for that, he's turning away a ton of money that way, but his games are sold out. There's like a waiting list of a hundred thousand yes. people to see because uh, he's turned it into a very entertaining show and very unlike baseball where people leave in the sixth or seventh inning and they're bored and he limits it to two hours. But something he said, I think applies to directly what you were saying at the music festival, people not responding. Uh, because it, it didn't meet their expectation of what they were coming to that event for. And he said, people don't want to be sold to, but they do want to buy things that, you know, matter to them. And I thought that, you know, context is everything. And is, I know there's, right. you know, great organization, Cure and other great organizations that definitely need support. And I would encourage, you know, everyone find you know, what's near and dear to your heart and go support that and, and do it uh, because, you know, there's some great work happening around the world and cures among the best that need your support. But uh, as far as like with anything else, these music festivals or you know, I do fundraisers on the radio, people aren't necessarily tuning in at that moment. And so it kind of catches them off guard. And, and so I'm yeah. always, I know you are too, always thinking about like, man, how can we meet people where they're at and tell them about what an opportunity this, this is? Yes, we'd like your money, but more importantly, you're looking for meaning. This will give you tons of meaning right. because you'll know like you actually like help restore somebody's legs or you actually save somebody's life or gave them clean water or whatever the case may be. Yeah, you know, I was I was talking about that recently on the air and or maybe it was in the book. No, it was in the book. I did the audio book on the men we need. And I, I was saying, let's say you're, what was it? Changing somebody's oil or I can't, or fixing somebody's tire. Yeah. Replacing tires or something. That's what I said. Like you don't realize how significant that is. If that's your job, like, especially if you do give generously, like to some, something like cure or whatever, but it's like, now you're a healer. Do you realize what that means? And there was a guy who wrote me. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I was listening. At, I was doing my job changing out tires at this place. I actually heard you describe my job as I was doing it my headphones. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you said I started crying. Like it does – yeah. So I'll say I'm guilty of this. Uh, my wife is so great at just, you know, stepping up and volunteering and helping everybody. 
and she's you know a mentor mom uh, to a single mom that needs support, and she does these things. I'm much better at tweeting about it and you know talking about the problems <laughs> and complaining about you know why people right. are the way they are. And uh, she's real practical. She just gets in there and, and gets stuff done. But you've written about this as far as when we complain online about something or we rant about it, we're actually less likely to help. Is that true? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of weird studies about that. Like people that get involved with causes online are less yeah. likely to give because like we feel like we've checked that box. Like I've done mm. my thing, and so yeah. we all want to think of ourselves as good people. So if we can redefine what good is to tweeting or yeah. you know signing up to I don't know a retweeting or whatever, whatever it is, but not actually sacrificing anything, we haven't done anything, but we feel good about ourselves. So it, it can yes. it can actually it can actually inhibit sacrificial giving, and interestingly enough, like the people you can study the people who give. It's not the activist person on Twitter. It's just not. I saw some more. There's stats very recently about this. Uh, it's it's alarming. Almost this is to secular causes, but church folk give like double hmm. to secular causes. And that's really, I mean, I, I can complain all day long about everybody not giving enough, but it's like, there's a whole lot of people that are tweeting about stuff, but when it comes right down to it, they spend the same way anybody else does. Well, in the news right now is that uh, Sam Bankman Freed, who just got you know arrested uh, for basically stealing everybody's money. <laughs> <laughs> in right. this big crypto scheme. And I don't need to get in the details or pick on this guy because, uh, but uh, there's one thing. He, the reason uh, it, it's particularly uh, egregious, I think, is because he was known as effective altruism, right? He was making the argument that he's trying to make as much money as possible so that he can then give it away and do good. And apparently his definition of good <laughs> uh, is, you know, funding his own excursions and bank account because uh, that's what he is being charged with doing of, uh, you know, stealing all this money. I think because we're moralistic by nature, like whether people are religious or not, they're moralistic by nature. So you see a lot of that. Uh, but I think we want to be, I think like the American dream right now is to be the richest good person alive. Yes. Like, so you want to be both, right? You want to, right. you want to be. Well, more money that's, can that's be more good. Like, right. Exactly. So how, whatever, whatever way we can tell ourselves we're good. And I think that fuels a lot of the activism from mm. actors. And for instance, like I want the desperately want to think of myself as a good person. Um, I also want to enjoy all this awesome stuff. So I'm going to, make these statements while simultaneously still enjoying this stuff. I'm going to be involved with the climate while I use my Gulf stream. Like that's just, that's a very human thing. We, but, but a lot of what drives our, a lot of what drives our outward like posturing is the suspicion or, or our, 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 our hope that people will think we're good and we can think of ourselves as good people. Well, that brings me, I wanted to talk about your your first book, uh, Unoffendable. You wrote, anger and action are two very different things, and confusing yes. the two actually hurts our efforts to set the thing right. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, so we have this idea that we have righteous anger. That's just a, that's just a common Yeah, there's bad idea. stuff in the world. I should be angry about right, that. Right, right. <laughs> like there's some evil there's, people. Not only is there oh, there's horrible evil all right. over the world, we have plenty to be angry about 24-7. 
And what I argue in the book is that that is a myth, the idea that my anger is righteous. Everybody thinks their anger is righteous, but here's the thing. If I think anger is righteous, I can pat myself on the back for being angry, but I haven't done anything. So it's kind of the same phenomenon that we're talking about, about taking an online stand but not sacrificing anything. Because I've checked the box. I'm a good person because I got angry about it. We get angry that other people aren't as angry as we are. So they're not as righteous as we are about X issue. Meantime, we don't care about the issues they're upset about. So it's like we have our own pet issues and we're convinced. And then we'll ignore stuff going on in other countries or others. So we don't care about that. So it's whatever affects me, my, my hobby horse. Like, so yeah, I'm trying to make that distinction. We do need to take action against injustice. That involves our money, our time, our efforts, yeah. our, our physical sacrifice sometimes. But it's like, that's not, you don't need to be angry to do that. Because anger, anger will actually cloud your judgment. If you want to be clear-minded about how to respond to things, you don't do it out of anger. And that's why I mentioned when it comes to injustice, like the police, judges, even military, like we, they... We don't want them acting out of anger. We want them to act to protect the vulnerable and do the right thing. Yeah, and there is that is a uh, key distinction because, uh, well, Unoffendable, you recently revised and updated it. They re-released it. And so I'm glad to hear it's revised and updated. So I, I'm assuming to include a list of things that's okay to be offended about? <laughs> yeah, there's an appendix of stuff that I realized since I wrote it originally that, no, actually, that really stinks. No, that's that's awesome because very few books get revised and and re-released and there's a workbook now that you can get and yeah, uh, and apparently this series. is resonating. This is resonating. Well, for a first-time author with yeah, like it's 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 just kept selling and it's gone because it's so relevant. I think it applies to everybody. So I think we're close to 250,000 books hmm. sold. And so that's why they're re-releasing it with the thing it's very relevant. Um, I did update it with a few more examples of what I'm talking about. Like Rachel Din Hollander yeah. is so brilliant in her talking about Larry Nasser, this abuser at Michigan State of the, the gymnast. She was in court and she could not have laid out. I'm sure she didn't read my book or whatever, but she could not have laid out my arguments or her arguments better where she was saying, I do forgive him. However, there are consequences for what he's done and God is just and forgiving. So there's justice that has to happen, but I will not harbor anger against him because I realize I can't be angry and forgive. But she basically said that better. And uh, so there's examples of stuff I could include in the book and it actually comes out January 10. That's a powerful example because I think about just watching her with such you know, inspiration, like wisdom. And it's like, that's a strong lady. Like she gets it. <laughs> and yes. Okay. Uh, and so th that looks like wisdom to me. It is. And again, the clarity of mind that can come when you're not clouded with anger. I mean, mm -hmm. she could go off. Right. And, you know, throw papers all over the courtroom. But what she said was so profound. And it's the result of not having to struggle to forgive someone. That is so maturing. When you realize I have to, I have to drop my right to anger. I cannot do this because in, from my viewpoint in my belief system, like God's forgiven me. So I don't wait till somebody deserves it. I do. I said, forgive people. Yeah. So I, it's interesting. I was going to tell you, it's kind of funny. I'm supposed to, I got confirmed yesterday. I don't know what the date is. I'm supposed to go on good morning America 
oh, wow. in G- January. I'll let you know. But they wanted to talk about this subject, so we'll That's see. That's amazing. How that goes. I'm not <laughs> That's a big, cool. I'm not a big video guy, so yeah, we'll see. No, that. Uh, be incredible. I can't wait. And that brings us full circle because we started with you talking about you want to find meaning, serve people. And there's actually a quote in Unoffendable, your first book. So I see some threads through all of your books. You're kind of basically uh, where you make that argument because you said refusing to be angry about others' views isn't conflict avoidance or happy talk. It's the very nature of serving people. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> you wrote well, imagine, that, so I, that's good. I, I use, I, yeah, I use the example. I use the example. I remember of um, my grandma, who was the sweetest lady, and she served my my paralyzed grandpa for so long, and he was very mean. Mm-hmm. He got mean after his couple strokes, but she served him, served him, served. Him. Well, she ultimately, after he died, you know, she aged, you know, twenty more years, and we put her in an old age. She's the sweetest, servant-hearted woman. Well, she's now losing her mind at the time. Mm-hmm. And she's passed away now, but she like chucked orange juice at the nurses that would help. Like she, they'd hand her something to drink, and she'd get mad and throw it at them. Like, it was, but they would clean it up. Huh. And that, that's what do you do when you're in, yeah. when you're a, a nurse in a home like that? But that's you could get angry about it. All oh, these people, these whole, like, but you're there to serve them. That's yeah. the very nature of what we call ministry, which means servant, like serving people is. You don't get angry at them. You realize they're deeply flawed and you keep serving them. When you see the humanity, when you see that they're made in the image of God and obviously deeply flawed, but you realize that's coming from a place of pain and whether it's, you know, throwing orange juice at the nurses or the people that go off online and just ran or criticize. And especially every election, it comes up. Uh, Everybody that disagrees with you is an idiot. And we call people every name in the book and realize like, that's not about you or that politician. It's a, the person yeah. writing that certainly has a wound and something that they're uh, dealing with that is just coming out in that toxic way. And again, with my worldview, like I think it's a spiritual thing. I don't even mm-hmm. think it's the, I don't think I have a person who's an enemy. Mm-hmm. So I can watch a, a network that I don't agree with. And there are a lot of them and the news people that I don't agree with. And there are a lot of them. And it can be frustrating to have my ideas caricatured or bit cartoon, but I'm rooting for them mm. as people. Like this is not this is not flesh and blood. So they they believe some things that I think are wrong and evil, for instance, and, but that I think. But but I don't. I can't hate them. I have to love them. I, have to, I'm, I'm, I think our stance has to be. I'm rooting for everybody. I think that's my political stance. And it's not a cop out. It's not that I don't have convictions about issues and stuff, but really am rooting for people, even the ones who hate people like me. I'm rooting for them. It's not easy to do. No, but, but, but it's, it's, it's part of being transformed. This is what, this is what it means to actually follow, you know, to be a disciple. We actually have to do this stuff. And that's what it means is the hard work. That's it. All the other stuff's kind of an abstraction, honestly, without that. And we're back to pay attention. So last question, because I think that I struggle with this, and so I'm assuming others might as well. 
you know, sort of mid-career and mid-life, if you will. And you wrote something, uh, well, you wrote this, the lie for most of us is that we'll, we'll get there and we'll somehow someday make it to a point where that thing, that whatever that we think we need to be secure is finally ours and we won't be threatened anymore because we've made it. And then you say, but, but there is no there. Right. And so yeah. how do you, yeah, how do you have contentment? How do you find contentment and, and just be where you are on a daily basis? Because I know that's, you know, my prayer that I would have wisdom that I would have contentment right where I'm at and, you know, not uh, be striving. And because I think it's very human nature to always be looking for the next mountain to climb. Totally. Okay. So I think just like in basketball, for instance, if you want to perform in a game, what do you got to do? You got to practice. Yeah. And there are literally practices that will help change you. One of them I was talking about actually memorizing scripture because now that's in my head. So I can walk the dog in the morning, which I do, and I'll recite scriptures to myself out loud, but I'm actually praying them too to God, but it's reminding you know, like Psalm 23, those six verses, man, that's uh, so good, but that's a practice. So that shows up in daily life and in things like contentment, but here's directly practices that would directly help. One I've not been really good at, but I'm getting better. I just started doing it is, is solitude. Spend an hour without your phone, without a book, without a Bible, without a, you're not journaling. You're not doing anything sit there for an hour and be quiet. See if you can do it. I'm not talking about 24 hours or 48. I'm not ready for that, but, but that's, we could be someday. I've heard that's really awesome, but to sit for an hour, it teaches you I'm not my job. That's not who I am. Same thing with having a a day off every week where you don't do anything productive, like do anything, but something productive for one day a week. You know, it's the Sabbath idea. But it's like that teaches you, I'm not my job. I'm not what I own. I'm not what other people think of me. I'm not my productivity. And these are practices that will manifest themselves in your daily life with contentment, not having to impress everybody because you practiced it. So I would start there. Um, I'm sure there's other things too that people, people would say, but I'm telling you, that makes a big difference because we have to unlearn that idea that this is who we are. And it's, it really is helpful, especially for somebody like you, who's a grinder or somebody like me, who's like, I've got a, who am I? Like my brain never stops, but it needs, I need to cool down and I need to just be a a child of God. It just, that's it. Be still and nothing else. Yeah, that's it. But that's really it. That's, this isn't a new problem. I think I'm always reminded of that quote from Blaise Pascal in what the 1600s, all of humanity's problems stem from man's ability to sit alone quietly in a room. <laughs> That's it. That's uh, this isn't a new problem. That. It's just, we have more things to keep our attention distracted. Yeah. It's very difficult. And then just because we, we like make religion into work too. So it's like, okay, I'm going to have a quiet time where I get this done, this done. I read these things and I get that. And they're like, no, 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 no. Have some practice where you stop it. Stop. God wasn't tired after he created. Like he's not like us, where it's like he's just I'm bushed. I need day seven. <laughs> his hands are on his knees. Like, <gasps> yeah. oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that whole world thing really wiped Ooh. me out. <laughs> oh. 
no, like, but he's he's showing us that there's to have limits. Yeah, because we have to strip all that stuff away because nothing else is going to do that for us. Nothing else in the culture is going to make us rest. Nothing. So the default will be always grinding, never being content, always being sold to, defining ourselves as a consumer or a producer or both. Like, that's not who we are. But that's hard. But, uh, you know, that's practice. Practice is hard. I love it. Okay. Well, uh, at this point, it would be wrong to try to sell you something. So if you want to check out uh, <laughs> Brant's totally free podcast or radio show or other things, yeah. you can go to branthanson.com. Brant, thanks so much for being on the next Simple Step Podcast. Awesome. Great talking to you, Paul. <laughs>